Mindfulness Mode, 248. It all begins with recognizing and then overriding overwhelm. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I am super pumped today. I have a great guest who's going to talk to us all about memory and how he's conquered the business of memory. And he can help us. He can help you. He can help you learn a new language. He can help with so many things. With me today is Dr. Anthony Mativier. So, Anthony, are you in (laughs) mindfulness mode today? I actually am. I had a nice meditation session this morning with some breathing exercises and actually have some interesting stories to tell about my recent meditation practice, but I'm a longtime practitioner of mindfulness. Yes, indeed. Well, I can't wait to hear more. So I'll share with Mindful Tribe, I'll share right now more about Anthony, and here it is. Dr. Anthony Mativier is the founder of the Magnetic Memory Method. It's an effective, fun way to memorize a foreign language or vocabulary, to memorize dreams, names, do exam preparation, music, poetry, anything you need to memorize. Dr. Mativier writes books and creates training for anyone who needs to improve their memory. And what separates Dr. Mativier from other authors on memory skills and development is that he does not focus on long strings of digits or training for memory championships. He offers simple techniques for memorizing that we can all use, and this, this is for information that will really change your life daily. There's no hype in his training, just techniques that work. Now, Dr. Anthony is also host and creator of the Magnetic Memory Method podcast, which is a fascinating podcast to listen to. So great to have you here, Anthony. I'm so excited. So what does mindfulness mean to you? Well, Bruce, thank you for having me, and my, my I really uh, appreciate that you do this work on mindfulness, actually, because it is so related to memory and in some ways contrary to memory in a beautiful way. And uh, I just think that uh, one of the greatest gifts that we have is the ability to to be in the present and focus in on what is so essential to our lives through the lens of of memory and absolutely surrender to this natural asset that's given to us so this is uh this is a wonderful thing to speak with you about it in the context of mindfulness because i see them as very much the same thing well i certainly see them as very closely related so you know we know about mindfulness we've talked about it a lot about mindfulness and how it means living in the moment and so on but how can we then take that experience and knowledge and help us to learn things, to memorize things, to, I mean, even learning a new language, that sounds like it would be overwhelming to me, but share with us how we can actually do that. Well, one of the first things to do is to understand that that feeling of overwhelm mm-hmm. is totally normal. It's, to- it's actually built into your brain in many ways. There's something called the insular cortex, and it creates pain responses to certain things. And that's tied to certain aspects of survival uh, technology, let's say, in the brain to preserve energy and so forth. I don't want to get too wild into the science, but 
we just know this. So that sense of overwhelm is normal. And one of the things that helps people, uh, some people really excel, is that they've just managed to manage the pain response from the insular cortex. And so if we can just get past that, then we can start telling ourselves a different story. And if we just know the story of our own brain, then we can say, ah, there's that overwhelm again, silly overwhelm. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to rig the chips in our favor. And memory techniques is one of the ways that we rig the chips in our favor so that we don't have to suffer and we can have a lot of fun and we can remember more, if not all, of what we study, which means we get a higher return on the investment in the time that we spend on learning. But it all begins with recognizing and then overriding overwhelm because overwhelm is a, a reality, but then it helps us create a story that is not true about how we learn or doesn't need to rule us. It's just normal. Right. Recognizing and overriding. I know when I was in, even in high school, I can think back and I, I loved some of the classes I took, I was fascinated, but I would get into an exam and I had this thing where I would sort of freeze up and I would think that I didn't know it. And then, of course, I didn't know it. And the more I tried to remember the information, I'd sort of put my head down and I'd shut my eyes and I'd try to remember. And it was just completely gone. I couldn't think of it. And then one day somebody said to me, or I learned somewhere, they said, well, don't put your head down, put your head up and look in your peripheral vision. And some of that will come back. And sure enough, that seemed to work. Do you have a comment on that? Yeah, well, one thing I often tell people is that stress chases memory away and relaxation invites memory. It's it's part of the whole idea behind what makes the magnetic memory method magnetic is little tricks like that helping us just get away from our stress. So if you're looking in your peripheral vision, you're just distracting yourself at some level from that immersion in suffering where right. you're stressed out. From that and stress. And it's like a pattern interrupt. Yeah, I see. And the more we can interrupt these patterns, then we're – I mean, here's the exciting thing about it all. The same way that you forget is often the same way that you remember. So these pattern interrupts are really essential to to all of this because, for example, yesterday or the day before yesterday, rather, I was at a meeting held by Microsoft sort of networking and local entrepreneurs and so forth. And I memorized everybody's name and it okay. was one of those things where afterwards, you know, you introduced yourself at the beginning and then afterwards you're meeting everybody and I'm like, hey, you're Don and hey, you're uh, Simon and so forth. And they're like, yeah, you really do know your stuff, right? And I was like, yeah. And then we were just getting into the elevator and someone said, and I was introduced to these other people and they're like, he really does know these memory things. And this woman said, my name is Ruth and my name is Chris. And we got into the elevator and someone noticed, oh, there's this moment where everybody goes silent, Right. And I said, yeah, and this is the moment where I actually have to repeat everybody's names in my head because that pattern interrupt will knock everything out because of the – no matter what you do with the techniques, uh, when you move for, into a new environment, you've got new quality of air. You've got new quality of sound. You've got new feelings underneath your feet. You've got new light that your eyes have to account for. And your brain is now overloaded with so much new stimuli. It's why when you go out for scissors from your office to the kitchen, you get to the kitchen and you're like, 
what the heck was I, did I come here for? And you can't remember. It's not that you can't remember. It's just that it's been overwritten by new stimuli. So if you were to do what I did in that elevator, when I go through the door and then you say, now's the moment where I have to do this to remember, then you won't forget it. At least you won't forget it nearly as easily, but you will if you don't do that. So a quick tip to relate this to everyday life is if you're in your office and you need to go get scissors or whatever, hold your fist. And when you walk through the door into the hallway, say scissors or mentally say scissors, but hold your fist and you will actually carry the original stimuli into a new environment and you're much less likely to have that effect. If you do, it's just normal, but, uh, it doesn't have anything to do with age. It doesn't have, well, it may have to do with age, but it's more likely that it just has to do with your body completely needing to recalibrate to new stimuli. Well, I find it interesting that you say the way that you forget is the same way that you remember because it feels like it just we all have a chance. We doesn't matter how old you are just like you said or doesn't matter, you know, whether we feel we have a bad memory, the fact is we all have a chance. My son, I was just talking to my son about this before we got on the air and he said, "Well, my only problem is," he said, "I forget to remember. I don't remember to mm, remember." Yes. Does that make sense? And, you know, yes, he'll have something sense. that he wants to remember, but then he doesn't remember to remember it. It's not that he can't remember it. So what would you say to him? Well, the game changer there is just to start practicing memory techniques. And either very quickly or gradually, you will not only remember to remember, but this becomes a kind of way of life. And you can get... You still get in situations where you won't remember to remember, but you're much less likely to do it. So it, it happens. There have been memory champions who have walked off the world stage and been interviewed on TV, and the host will say, hey, what's my name? And it's gone. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? So it doesn't matter how good you are at the techniques. You may still forget to remember, but you're less likely to do that if you have a daily memory practice or a near-daily memory practice. But – it's it, it's quite normal, um, and I've heard atrocious things from <laughs> from some real real good uh, memory experts and public figures out there about what they say to people when they forget their names and so forth. But <laughs> you know, it's just it's we're all normal and human and so forth. But if you don't want to forget to remember, then you just make it a normal practice to to use the techniques. And the more you know about your memory, the more you'll naturally start using it differently. Right. What got you into this fascinating field of memory, Anthony? Well, <laughs> near, near death, clinical depression, actually. Oh. Uh, it was a very, very dark time in the early years of my graduate studies where I was burdened with so many books to read, mm-hmm. so many articles to cover and you know everything you open has another 150 books listed in the back and you want to read those too Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to but you want to and I just couldn't concentrate it wasn't even a memory issue so much as I couldn't read sentences and my eyes seemed to jump all over the page and I wasn't focusing and so I had a crossroads it was drop out of school or risk failing because you have field exams and you have to sit in front of committees and out of your head produce all kinds of knowledge and there's language uh, qualifications and yada, yada, yada. 
And so, yeah, fail or quit. And at the same time, too, like all my uh, student loans were starting to come due and I was just totally stressed out. So I thought, well, instead of going and jumping off the bridge, I will become a magician. And <laughs> I've always been interested in magic. And I started to study and prepare for what I've called ever since the emergency paycheck, which is the ability to go and do magic. And in that study, I discovered the impossible, the holy grail of magic, which is any card at any number. You just say a card and then you give a number and that card will be at that number in the deck. And there's different ways to do it. One of those ways is to have a deck authentically memorized. And on a training, the guy talked about how you could actually do this. And I thought, there's no way. But I thought, what the heck? What have I got to lose? It sounds crazy enough to try. And it was a diversion. And lo and behold, I learned it in 15. 15 minutes later, I had memorized an entire deck of cards, and I instantly saw how that applied to biblical Hebrew, how it applied to obscure Greek philosophy terminology, how it applied to everything. And then I just had to train myself to read the books and get them info onto index cards, treat the information as if it was a deck of cards, and then memorize it using these processes. And then I went and sat in those exams. I still felt like hell. I still wasn't tip-top shape or anything like that. But I got so cocky, I was citing page numbers because I just remembered them. And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> wow, <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> what subject yeah. were you studying? Well, one of my problems was that I did a PhD in humanities, which meant I had to cover history of religion, history of classical world and languages, and, and the history of science. And uh, on top of that, write a dissertation that somehow fused all those things together. So I chose to write about friendship. And uh, yeah, it was it was just a, a bigger field set of field exams than I think is normal, really, <laughs> to, uh, to be held accountable for. But uh, it, it, it was just it was just great, a great experience. Um, but I wouldn't have got through it without the memory techniques. Because what ended up happening, too, is that as I learned the memory techniques, I started to find the brain fog subsiding uh -huh. and I had to take antidepressants at the time and that created even more fogginess and it yeah. would help cut through it. So I still didn't feel that great, but I started to see and experience focus and clarity just because of the mental exercise. So it was, it was life-saving. Right. It sounds amazing. So you say you can learn languages this way. Do you speak other languages? Yeah, right now I speak, uh, I'd say, upper intermediate level German. And I would say, I don't know how to classify my Chinese. Uh, I'd have to ask somebody to classify it, but I speak at-home Chinese, let's call it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I've studied many, many languages. I've gotten to basic conversational Spanish, for example. Mm -hmm. If I'm away from a Spanish-speaking country, it'll take maybe two to three weeks before I'm humming along again. But again, it's it's not a, a full-on fluency. But And I just have a lot of fun. Like when I go to Israel, I just start learning stuff. And yeah, just be able to relate to people and remember the stuff. And it's cool. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Is that one of the reasons you travel to other countries and stay there for a while? Because it's just fun? Well, one of the reasons is, is that I've been really busy teaching memory techniques all over the place. And 
making relationships with other people who teach advanced and accelerated learning. So I was able to stay in Cairo with Ollie Richards of uh, IWillTeachYouALanguage.com for a month and didn't. I ended up falling off a camel, so I didn't have uh, – oh. I was on my back most of the time, so I didn't like get to study or learn or be exposed to as much um, Egyptian Arabic as I would have liked. But nonetheless, I did pick up a few things and got to play my memory games with, with whatnot. But my primary – Thing for travel has been exposure to language, but most language learning experts would agree that you don't need to travel to learn a language. And I myself have found that the best language study is at home, not in the place. You do it before you arrive so you actually can enjoy it. Because once you're there, oh, is it? Yeah, you know, once you're there, you're so overwhelmed with all the great things to see that uh, you want to yeah. study in advance. So if I wanted to go to Italy and learn Italian before I went, what's my best approach? Should I start about a month before, two weeks before? And what should I do? Well, I would recommend give yourself three months running. Okay. You don't have to give yourself three months. You can go a lot faster. But a typical example with my Chinese is uh, approximately three months before I went to China, I sat, sat down. I knew these techniques already. So if you wanted to use memory techniques, you'd want to you know, dig your wells before you're thirsty. But what I did is I sure. sat down. I have a, a vocabulary builder that I've created that has the core words one would want to to memorize. And I started memorizing them. And then – and this is using memory palaces. So what you're able to do with memory palaces is create – use your spatial memory to create kind of like a roller coaster ride that you follow in your mind and you just fire off these words as you go along a journey. And then you can do it in a way that you revisit it in different patterns so it gets into long-term memory because of what's called the primacy effect and the recency effect matched onto spatial positioning. And uh, then you don't stop at individual words, though. If you memorize 10 words, you would then place those words in full phrases. So uh, like if you learn the word – when I learned the word ready or for Chinese, for example – in Chinese. I have that in my doctor's office. And then I added the phrase, are you ready? Right. And every word before that and after that, I would add a phrase. So now instead of just 10 words, you've got 10 phrases. And another thing that I would do is, you know, this is again, something I learned from Ollie Richards. I've got to give big props to him. He's one of my favorite language learning teachers is set limits on what you're consuming. So one book, one audio program, and one video course, and you don't even have to have that much. Could just be the focus, and so one, and one teacher, at least one teacher. So then, and this is daily, right? So I would set a goal of ten mm-hmm. words per day, and then making sure you add phrases to all those ten words. And then, like an audio program, there's good ones. Chinese Pod. I like Pimsleur actually for Chinese. And then what I do is write down their phrases, invent my own pinyin. Now, not everybody's going to agree with this as good language learning advice, but I did because right. I didn't want to learn how to write in pinyin and I didn't necessarily need to read and I didn't need to study characters. I'm doing character study now, but I just started to invent my own pinyin. So when that program said in the first sentence is, Ni hui shua po tong hua ma, right? I was like, okay, so Hui, Hemingway. And he's kneeing, ni means you. So Ni uh, hui shua. And then I see the shawarma guy. Yeah, in Berlin, you know, I just start like putting these guys. So I'm linking sound and meaning as an image in a memory palace. And then I revisit 
that. And before you, and then I have a one speaking partner that I get on once or twice a week or even more often and just start drilling this stuff in conversation. Next thing you know, I go to China. I'm sitting across from my, my now wife's parents and we're chit chatting. And uh, I said, Hey, you know what? I'd really like permission to marry your daughter. Is that cool with you? And they're like, yeah. So, you know, it's a, uh, and I did this all in Mandarin cause they don't speak English. So, uh, wow. that's, that's like three months. That's a picture of three months now is that I wouldn't call that fluency in Chinese, but I didn't have to speak English when I was in China. And, uh, I was able to win the, win the hand of my wife. So <laughs> great story. Yeah. Great story. But it's wow, that simple. That's, and that's incredible. If you make it daily or near daily, you will astound yourself by how much you learn. Well, let's talk about your meditation practice. What does that look like? Do you meditate once a day? Is it silent meditation? What's it like? I don't know how to answer how often I meditate, but it definitely have a formal meditation once a day. Although I'd say probably actually two because I have the stay in bed a little bit longer sort of rule. Okay. Not formal or anything like that. But I will do some combination of yoga I learned from when I studied Sistema. So it's like Russian yoga. And then mm -hmm. just, I don't know, traditional yoga like sun pose and all that jazz and bending over, touching my toes. And then I will sit. And in the sitting, I will do some breathing, uh, sometimes breath withholding. Also that I learned from in the Russian tradition and from uh, uh, Advaita tradition as well, and just invented breathing exercises. Sometimes I'll do some self-inquiry or whatever. It depends how busy the mind is. I find my mind is super busy in the morning, and uh, I'll see if I can get to what uh, I've heard called persistent non-symbolic experience and stay in that for a while. And then I do some journaling, which I also link to, or I feel is a form of meditation. And that all must happen before any device goes on. That's that's the rule. Uh, and then the swamp and the storms and the <laughs> and the tsunamis of uh, email and so forth can can commence after that. So that's pretty much my pattern. And then during the day, I'll do right. more stretching here and there. And going to the gym is kind of meditative in, in its way. And then I'll often have an evening shutdown and and do a little bit more breathing and stretching and sitting at the window and then go to bed. So it's all med right. it's meditation. <laughs> right, sure. It's all meditation, yeah. So many different things can be meditation. I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time, and I just wonder if you have a story about bullying or maybe you were bullied, maybe you know someone where mindfulness would have made a difference and maybe some of these memorization skills would have as well. Yeah, I was around a lot of bullies. I sort of had the wherewithal to stand up to them. Mm -hmm. And part of that may have just been my own recklessness. I had a I had a good batting average of just putting them in their place and I was able to surf the the danger zone between the jocks and the the uh non-jocks, I guess, or whatever. But I <laughs> right. I kind of had uh, had alliances with everybody, but it it did have a little bit to do with with being a bit off kilter and crazy and not really caring because of my home background was so bad that you know <laughs> what wow. what could uh, what could 
Troy, the jock, possibly threaten uh, me with. But I saw it a lot, and I think, yeah, I was just able to respond to it. I did. I did have one fist fight that I, I that I wound up in and uh, lost as a result of standing up to bullying. But uh, we ultimately became friends and had some uh, interesting discussions after that. And I wonder if a lot of this is just out of our control. We're biological units with raging hormones and things happen and so forth. So mindfulness would start for me there in just helping humans get a better sense that what's happening to them in these situations and so forth is is largely out of our control. And we don't really have as much free will in it as we think because of the units that we're in. And if you can get a gap between your physical response to things and what you the actions you take, then a lot of that can and that's for both sides. The bully can catch himself in a moment of bullying that he may not be aware of and the bullied can re- respond differently because they're aware of how their bodies are responding before their mind directs action. So Right. Interesting. Yeah. As we, as we move toward wrapping this up, I want to ask you five very quick answer questions. So we'll just zoom through these. The first one is who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Well, definitely, uh, Gary, Gary Weber. Um, he wrote happiness beyond thought and it's just an incredible book. It's so grounded in science and not mystifying anything and that's one of his conditions was this has to be true for all all people regardless Mm. of belief and so that has been hugely influential on me especially because it got me into doing more of the physical activity such as yoga and stretching and breathing and the research he talks about about how that gender may play a, a, a role in our responsiveness to kinds of meditation. And I never would have thought that, you know, men are more likely to benefit from movement-based meditation. And that really helped me a great deal when when I read that from him and started to put it into deeper and more consistent practice. Well, as a teacher, I noticed that boys uh, respond much, m- much better to anything that's, that's connected to movement, right. you know. That's that's very true. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Oh, it's it's really evened them out. Uh, I, I have had clinical depression and bipolar disorder, and so my moods have in the past just been all over the place. And now I have a real strong through line, and I have exactly that gap that I mentioned where I'm able to sort of somehow live in the future. I mean, I live in the future in Australia anyway, but now I kind of live in the future of my physical and mental responses and I'm able to just sort of see it before it happens. Not all, not every single time, but more and more consistently and not get tied up in creating a big story about it or, or just even being in it. So it's just been fantastic for that. And I now can function for a year and a half now without any medication at all. So that's been a great one. That's awesome. How is breathing? How is breathing a part of your mindfulness? Well, you know, it's the thing they say: always return to the breath. If you if you get lost, that's yeah. that's the place to go. I've just been so blessed that I encountered things in the in the early two thousands, like Russian martial arts, which are so breathing focused that I've spent a lot of time with breath, 
and just no, just noticing that so much tension is held by not breathing and then starting to create greater circularity has done so much in terms of reducing stress, uh, stress, reducing tension and preventing it from accumulating in the first place. You've mentioned a couple of these, but if you could recommend a book on mindfulness or related to it, what would that be? Definitely Happiness Beyond Thought, but also I would highly recommend Waking Up by Sam Harris. And even his books that are not directly about mindfulness, but lying and uh, uh, free will. I think those are essentially also mindfulness books in many ways. Can you share an app which helps you be more mindful or it might help others be more mindful? Uh, An unconventional app would be your brain. I'm working quite a lot on a topic called digital amnesia and really encouraging people to to be to be cautious of apps and what they're doing to wire the brain and create a kind of twitchy culture so I'm not against apps I think we can have the best of all worlds but I think the ultimate app is already in your head so <laughs> start there and uh, purify I like that yeah I like that well your podcast is amazing tell us how we can connect more with you, how we can listen to your podcast, how we can, you know, just learn more about what you do. Well, you can come visit magneticmemorymethod.com and there's a free course you can take, which is accessible at magneticmemorymethod.com forward slash mindfulness. And that is for your listeners uh, in particular. And just in general, if you, I'm, I'm a big promoter of all memory training so if you get into this world you know some people don't like the sound of my voice or whatever so don't don't let me be the barrier to you being becoming a student of your own memory because there are a lot of great teachers out there so look into it find a teacher find someone you like and just uh if it happens to be me i'd be delighted (laughs) but uh there's there's this is just one of the most important topics in the world for everybody to get on. So find somebody to help you with your memory that you like and, and go deep and go all the way through because it will change everything. Good advice. And I do like the sound of your voice, so I'm okay with <laughs> That's great. I really enjoyed talking with you. And I know our listeners, Mindfulness Mode uh, listeners, will really enjoy hearing this episode as well. So thank you so much and keep up the great work with your, with your memory work. Well, thank you, Bruce, for having me and uh, look forward to speaking again sometime yeah, soon. for sure. For sure. All the best. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.